Good to see you on this Sunday morning. I'm encouraged that you guys want to be here early and talk about evangelism, talk about how we can minister the gospel to people who need to hear of Christ. So we're going to continue that theme today, um, and I don't have a PowerPoint today. Uh, it's a fairly simple lesson, but I hope you have your Bibles. We'll be looking at a few passages together. Let's pray, and we'll jump into uh, our, our lesson for this morning. Father, thank you that you have uh, not only saved us and redeemed us, but you've given us the privilege of sharing in your mission. You've left us here as your representatives on earth. You've tasked us with a very important um, uh, calling. You are my witnesses, is what you have said. And it's our joy and our privilege and our duty to tell the world of who you are and what you've done so that they too might come to share in the eternal life that we've received. So I pray that you would sharpen our thinking and uh, make it clear this morning how we can better serve you as your witnesses. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so uh, the theme for today, I'd, I'd like to talk about this topic of using your testimony. Um, as we talk about evangelism, we've looked at sort of the substance of the gospel. We've tried to define evangelism, talk about what it is and why it matters, and look at the biblical backdrop for that. Today is very, very practical. Um, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, then you have a story. You have an experience. You have um, personal history. So when you tell someone about the gospel of Jesus Christ, when you are sharing with them, you're not just talking about abstract truths. I mean, there are eternal truths outside of us that even if you and I had never been born, they would be true. And so we are testifying to that. But we also have the opportunity often to tell people about what God has done for us and to personally bear witness and give testimony. So I'd like to just think about this morning this idea of using your testimony in the process of evangelism. Um, how, how do we do that and what does that look like? Um, this word we use of testimony, we often think of testimony as being somewhat synonymous with our reputation. So we want to have a good testimony at work or a good testimony at school or a good testimony with our family when we're going to uh, Thanksgiving or something like that. And, and that's, that's true. Um, but biblically, to understand this idea of testimony, um, it's really the act of speaking it's the act of bearing witness. Really, the word we get testify from uh, is the same word we get witness from. So the, the Greek noun, martus, means witness. It's someone who bears witness. Um, I was recently subpoenaed to testify in a hearing. It, it hasn't happened yet. It's been postponed twice. But I'm being called upon and asked to say some things on public record about what I've seen and observed. Um, so that's what a witness is. It's someone who testifies. And this act of testifying, this act of bearing witness, uh, it comes from the same word. So martus would be the noun. Martureo would be the verb. They're, they both come from the same root. So to testify, to bear witness, uh, is to give testimony and to be a witness. And we do this when we tell a story, when we speak about something that we have seen, observed, or experienced. And so we put this in the context of evangelism. Uh, we are able to bear witness to the truth of Christ by sharing what we have seen, what we have experienced, what has happened to us. And that can be very, very useful in evangelizing, in sharing the gospel with others. It's not the only way to witness, but it's 
one of the tools that God has given us, one of the, the ways that we can do this. Now, I want to clarify, when we talk about giving a testimony, uh, there's a right way and a wrong way to do this, and I've seen it done both ways. I want to make sure that we all understand when, when we give testimony, when we talk to someone else and we're seeking to share the gospel with them and we're telling them a story from our own life, we're maybe talking about our own conversion or, or telling them about things that we've witnessed and observed personally as believers, it's very important that we not make our testimony about ourselves. When you give a testimony, while you're talking perhaps about what you have seen, you're talking about what you have experienced, you're talking about what God has done in your life, it's very, very important that we not make the testimony about us. It involves us. I mean, we're, we're connected to it, but it's really not about us. When we give testimony, when we share our personal uh, experience of salvation, or we share with someone about what God has done to provide for us at key moments in our life, or how he gave us the comfort we needed in a moment of suffering or crisis, we're not presenting ourselves to them. That's not the aim. That's not the goal. Uh, it's like John the Baptist said, he must increase and I must decrease. So that matters even in how we tell the story. Um, I am not the hero of my story. Jesus is. Um, it's not about me, even though it involves me. It's about him. I want to put the focus on what he has done. I want to put the focus on how wise he is, not how wise I am, how powerful he is, not how strong-willed or, or, you know, or how strong my character may be. I want to put the, uh, the emphasis and the focus on what Jesus can do for someone, not on what I can do for them. So when we give testimony... We are sharing a little bit of a piece of ourselves. It's our story. It's our experience. It's what's happened to us. But we need to make sure we make it about Jesus. Okay, I, I've seen this <clears throat> happen lots of times. And if you are in church long enough, if you're in a small group long enough, if you listen to enough baptism testimonies, <clears throat> if you're like me and you do membership interviews where you're asking people their, their testimony, there's a very big difference between someone who is talking about themselves about what they know, about all that they've done, all the ministry they've been involved in, um, their way of explaining or thinking about truth. There's a difference between that and, bet and between someone who's really enamored with Jesus Christ and excited to talk about him, excited to talk about who he is and what he has done. So it's very important when we think about giving testimony, some people are a little bit hesitant about that. We're like, well, I, I don't want to talk about myself. And I would say, good, then don't. Um, don't talk primarily about yourself, but you need to be honest enough to share about Jesus Christ, share about the gospel, and tell people how that's played out in your experience, in your life. So when we talk about testimony, make sure that we understand we are not the main characters. I am a supporting character in his story. I'm just a little bit part player off to the side, but Jesus is the focus. So when you share testimony, make sure uh, we're talking about him. It's about his accomplishments, his victory, his glory. It's who he is, what he has done. So our testimonies need to point to Jesus Christ, and our testimonies need to have his glory as the theme. So we, we talked earlier in this series, when we share the gospel, we do have an aim of seeing people converted, yes. But our highest aim is actually that Jesus would be glorified. And so even if someone doesn't respond in faith and repentance in that moment, when we publicly bear witness to Christ, talk about how great he is and what he's done for us, 
Even if that person goes, oh, good for you, but I'm not interested. Even if they go, well, I don't believe in all that. It's really okay, because what we've just done is given Jesus Christ the glory that he deserves. He did something for me, and the world needs to know about it. And it's wrong for me to not publicly give thanks and to celebrate what God has done for me. So we need to make sure that our testimony is pointing to Christ and it has his glory as its ultimate aim and its ultimate theme. Um, Why is it so useful to use our testimony? Let's just think about that for a minute. I think just speaking practically, and we all know this, people love stories, don't they? People are often interested in stories. They are captured by stories. We're just wired that way. We like books. We like movies. We like campfire stories. Uh, We like telling stories to our kids at night. If you're like me, you have little kids or you had kids in the past, they will beg you to tell more stories, to read just one more chapter before they have to go to bed. I mean, we're we're drawn towards that. So when when you share your story with someone, uh, that's, that often opens up doors where they may be closed off to a philosophical conversation. They may be closed off to um, even a theological conversation where you're examining uh, propositional truth. They may be not interested in that. Um, depending on how old they are, they may not even have all the words and the, the critical thinking skills to engage a conversation like that. They may not have the background in studying scripture to even know what you're talking about. And we can explain that to them, but one of the best vehicles to teach those truths is stories. People, from the time they're very, very young, can understand stories. So it's useful for us to use stories. Jesus used lots of stories. We talked about that, I think, uh, last week or two weeks ago. Dan was talking about um, using stories, and I I made the recommendation, you know, we we can use our own testimonies as a story, or, or we can often just use the stories Jesus told because we know that those ones work. Uh, they're in scripture, they're inspired. Those are the best stories. Um, but if we tell our own story, that can often open up doors and it can invite people to consider things that otherwise they might not. Um, otherwise, they, they may not be interested in having that conversation. Another reason why sharing your testimony or sharing a testimony can be very, very useful is not only do people like stories, but there's times where people are just curious about you. They want to get to know you. So you're meeting somebody new at work or a new neighbor. They want to know, what do you do for a living? Where are you from? Tell me about your family. They want to know about you. And so as we share certain experiences that have shaped us, I mean, if I'm going to get to know one of you guys, one of the most important things about you that has shaped who you are today is the fact that at some point in time, you became convinced that you were a sinner headed for hell. And you believed in the promise of the gospel, and it changed everything for you. It's completely changed the direction and the trajectory of your life. It has given you a hope in the face of death. It's given you a purpose. It's given you an identity. It's given you this new mission in life. I mean, that defines who you are, is your personal experience of salvation in Jesus Christ. So if someone's going to get to know you and you don't talk about the gospel, they haven't really gotten to know the real you if they don't know that part of you, that you're a follower of Jesus. So as people are interested in getting to know you, or as you have those opportunities where you're meeting someone and introducing, um, sharing that part of your life can be a great way to get to the gospel, to have a conversation about what God has done in your life and to expose them to truth that they need to hear. I think sometimes we, we have this idea in our mind that, well, I have to get to know this person and develop a friendship with them before I can share the gospel. 
I just don't think you can get to know somebody if you haven't talked about your faith in Christ. If they don't know you're a Christian, they don't really know you. Um, so that, that, makes, that gives us often opportunity to share the gospel when people are getting to know you and you can share your testimony. I think another reason that, our, that your testimony can be a very effective uh, on-ramp to sharing the gospel is, uh, and maybe this may surprise you, but it's the fact that we live in a postmodern pluralistic society. Now, we often bemoan the, uh, the downside of that. The downside of that is that everybody has their truth. Everybody has their own view. And everybody has arrived at their own understanding. And that nobody can say anybody else is wrong. And, and, and we sort of cringe at that because we see it as an attack on the absolute truth claims of Jesus Christ. And it is. Um, but just in the same way that um, you know, a, a judo fighter might use his opponent's moves against him um, in, in that discipline when someone throws a punch or makes a move, rather than just meeting it with force, you, you're taught, and I'm not a, an expert in this, I've never been trained, but from what I understand, they're taught to actually work with that move and use it against the attacker. Uh, so th- consider it this way. Who can tell you that your experience doesn't have value? I mean, isn't that the tactic that the world is using right now? My lived experience determines what's true. How can you tell me that I'm not a woman trapped in a man's body? Because I have certain feelings and certain experiences that therefore determine what's true. That's how the world argues right now, which means they're not in a position to tell us that our stories don't matter, that our experiences aren't real. And so we can sort of enter into that. We have instant access in a postmodern pluralistic society where everybody's opinion matters Well, that should include us, shouldn't it? Now, often they're not consistent with that standard, and they will not be relativists or postmodernists. As soon as you start talking about Jesus, all of a sudden that's not allowed. Uh, Big surprise. But that shouldn't stop us from entering into the conversation. We can take advantage of this reality that when people tell a story of what they've experienced, it's hard to argue with. It's really hard to argue with. So let's seize the day and take advantage of that. Um, in, In a society where... Everyone has their experience and their truth. We should have a seat at the table. Um, And so let's step in and and take advantage of that. I want to look at some uh, biblical examples of of testimony. Uh, Turn to John uh, chapter 1. Actually, it's John chapter 4. I don't know why I wrote down John chapter 1. No, it's John chapter 1. I've got two of them here. John chapter 1, verse 43 through 46. It says, The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Now you might not read this and think of it as sharing a testimony, but I think it is. Um, Philip comes to Nathanael and shares his experience. He says, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. He says, he's making a, a comment about his experience. We found him. But he's also making a biblical claim that the prophecy of the Old Testament is being fulfilled in Jesus Christ. 
So he's not just sharing an experience. He's also sharing biblical truth. He brings both of these things together, and then he invites this individual, this friend of his, Nathaniel. He says, come and see. Come and see. So he's inviting him to respond. I think we see several different components of a good testimony here. One is sharing the circumstances that have gone on in your life. He says, we have found him. There's a personal experience. So for you, it might be that Jesus saved me or that he gave me freedom from this sin that used to dominate my life or he restored my marriage. There's this personal experience that happened that you're telling people about. But it's more than just a personal experience. I could tell you a personal experience of a baseball game yesterday. That doesn't have any eternal significance for your life. Um, but when, you're, when we're talking about spiritual things, it does. So it's a, it's a testimony of spiritual reality that you've experienced. But it goes a step beyond that. He says, this is him of whom Moses, the law, the prophets wrote. So now he's making a biblical claim. So when we share testimony, we want to share certain circumstances that have taken place in our life. But we want to connect those experiences and those circumstances to biblical truth. My marriage was reconciled because this is what the Bible says about forgiveness and redemption. I was set free from this life-dominating sin because Romans 6 says those who have died with Christ are no longer enslaved. So connecting our experiences to biblical truth, that's what Philip is doing. And then there's a third component, and this is where the postmodernists and the pluralists will become offended. It's one thing when you share your testimony, you say what God has done for you. Many people will go, oh, that's great. I'm happy for you. I'm glad that that works for you. I'm glad that you have found peace and joy in that. I'm glad that that helps you sleep at night. But then when you cross the bridge and say, you need to believe the same thing I believe, I want you to have the same experience I've experienced. That's when oftentimes we run into the roadblock. But that shouldn't stop us from trying to cross that bridge. And, and Nathaniel does that, or Philip rather. Uh, Nathaniel pushes back. He goes, I'm not really convinced about your experience or your claim about Scripture. He says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? He's skeptical. And Philip doesn't go, oh, okay, and walk away. <laughs> he goes, come and see. Come and see. There's an invitation. He puts the ball in his court and says, I'm calling you to make a decision because I want you to have the same experience that I've had, that we have found him, the one of whom the Old Testament spoke. So I think a good testimony will have all three of those components, sharing personal circumstances, connecting those to biblical truth, and then inviting the other person to join you in believing that truth and sharing in that experience. I think that's the right way to use our testimony. And we see this in other places in Scripture, too. Um, Turn to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5, we'll start in verse 18. This is the story where Jesus comes to a man who's possessed by uh, a legion of demons. He casts the demons out, gives them permission to go into a herd of pigs. The pigs run off the cliff, and it makes a huge scene, and all the people in the town are scared, and they actually ask Jesus to leave. They're like, we don't want you here. This is turning everything upside down. But what about the man who was uh, set free from demonic oppression? Verse 18 tells us, As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but he said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. 
And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Everyone marveled. Uh, We're not exactly told uh, everything that this man said in his testimony. But there's a key insight I want to pull out of this, that Jesus wants this man, this man who's been a recipient of divine mercy and grace, he wants him to tell others how much God had done for him. So who is to share their testimony? Well, according to what we saw with, with Philip and Nathaniel, well, disciples do this. Disciples share their experience and share biblical truth and invite others to follow as well. But it's those who have been recipients of grace that are also called, which would be all of us, we're called to tell others how much the Lord has done for us. And that's what this man does in, in Mark chapter 5. Flip back over to the book of John again, John chapter 4. And we see this with the woman at the well. She does the same thing. John chapter 4, starting in verse 28. says, so the woman left her water jar and she went away into town. This is after her experience with Jesus. And she said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And I think that's a rhetorical statement. She's saying, how could it not be anything other than the Christ, the Messiah? Who else could do that? And it says, they went out of the town and were coming to him. So all the people heard her testimony. They responded to her invitation. And they come out to listen to Jesus. Look down in verse 39. It says, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two more days. And many more believed because of his word. So here we have a woman who bears witness. She gives a testimony. She makes a theological claim that Jesus is the Christ. That's a doctrinal theological claim. But she also shares her experience. He told me all that I ever did. And then she invites other people to come and share in her experience. Why don't you come listen to what he has to say? And then maybe you too will believe that he is the Christ. And many of them did. So we see this pattern of bearing witness, giving testimony. We see the same thing in the book of Acts. Flip over to Acts chapter 22. Um, It's interesting. In the book of Acts, the the, uh, conversion experience of the Apostle Paul is something that we have recorded um, at least three times we see it sort of fleshed out. Once we see the, the recounting of when it actually happened. Luke tells us a story of how Paul got saved. But then there's two different points where Paul shares his testimony. And both of them are somewhat under pressure. One is when he's in Jerusalem and there's somewhat of a riot that breaks out. Acts chapter 22. Let's start in verse 1. So he addresses uh, the people that are gathered there, and he does so in the Hebrew language, and that gets all their attention. They're like, oh, maybe this guy knows what he's talking about. He says, brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And he said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are to this day. So he's giving his background so they know who he is. He's starting to tell a story. He continues, verse 4, I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women. As the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness, from them I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be 
punished. So he's giving the, the before part of the before and after, saying, this is who I was, this is my background, these are my credentials, this is what I was doing. Verse 6, here's his experience. And as I was on my way and drew near to Damascus, about noon a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me. And I fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, rise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that I appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand and those who were with me and came to, or I was led by the hand by those who were with me. And I came to Damascus, and one, Ananias, a devout man according to the law, spoken, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, he came to me and standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And that very hour I received my sight and saw him. And he said, The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now, now he turns the corner. He's told his story. He's told who he was, what happened, what Jesus did, who Jesus is. Now he turns the corner and tells them how to respond. Verse 16. And now, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. Paul continues to go on, but it's interesting here. We have all these components. He's sharing his personal testimony, his experience, that he believed the way, this message that Jesus was the Messiah and that Jesus had risen from the dead, he thought it was heretical and he was persecuting it until he actually met Jesus. And then he believed. And he was called by Jesus. He's making a claim that I met the resurrected Christ. He's making a theological claim that Jesus is the Messiah. He really did rise from the dead. And then he tells them, that's why you need to repent and be baptized. You need to turn from your ways just like I did, and you need to believe in who Jesus is just like I did, and then get baptized and start following Jesus like I am right now. And so he invites them into that experience. Paul is sharing his testimony. He gives the circumstances. He makes a theological claim that Jesus is the resurrected Christ, and then he invites them to respond. He does the same thing in Acts chapter 26. Flip over there. This time, he's before King Agrippa. Once again, Paul's in the mix. He's on trial, under pressure. Look in verse 12 of Acts chapter 26. I'm kind of jumping in the middle here. He, again, he, before this, um, he's arguing for the resurrection. He's explaining that he used to oppose this message. And he says in verse 12, in this connection, because he was opposing the message of the resurrection. I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. It tells the same story. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise, stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness to these things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, 
to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judea and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day, I have had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying, both to small and great, saying that nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer. Here he is. He's giving doctrinal claims now. He's expositing the Old Testament scriptures. He is proclaiming the substantive truth of the gospel. He says Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. And as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. But Paul said, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I'm speaking true and rational words. He continues on and and he keeps arguing. And then it's amazing. I love what Agrippa says in verse 28. Or verse 27, he's talking to Agrippa. He says, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. So once again here, we have Paul telling his story. He says, here's who I was. Here's what I believed. And then here's what changed. Here's what Jesus did. Here's the truth of the gospel. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of all the promises. He really did rise from the dead. And my mission is to invite you to repent and turn from your sins and believe in this message. He's trying to persuade people, trying to persuade them. And he's using his story to do it. He's using his story as a vehicle to share the truth of the gospel and to invite people to respond to it. So I think we see this pattern over and over and over again where you share the circumstances of your life, the content of the gospel, And then invite people to respond, encouraging them to join you in faith and following Christ. So think about that in your own story, in your own life. What are ways in which you can share certain circumstances? Maybe it's your conversion. Uh, Maybe you have a testimony of saving faith where God produced this radical change in your life. What a great story to be able to tell to people. Tell the world what the Lord has done for you and then invite them to share in that experience. Uh, For some of you, perhaps you grew up in a Christian home, uh, like I did. You came to faith at a very young age, so you don't have this massive before and after portrait. Um, By God's grace, I believed in the gospel as a child, so I didn't have a chance to get a driver's license and get into too much trouble and be out from from underneath my parents' house before I was a Christian. Um, That's God's grace, just to preserve me from what was in my heart and and where I would have ended up um, apart from God's grace. So for me, when I share a testimony, it's not usually my salvation testimony, but there's other stories in my life that I have found there's great value in sharing that. Um, Some of you have been through times of great suffering. That's a universal experience. You've buried someone that you love. You've experienced um, physical suffering through illness. Uh, disease, something like that. Um, some of you have gone through seasons of unemployment or, or facing bankruptcy, going through intense financial pressure. When we share with people stories of great difficulty that we've gone through, 
we can tell them how much the Lord has done for us. Here's how God sustained me through my suffering. Here's how God provided for me in my hour of need. Here's how God comforted me in my moment of loss. The world doesn't have that. They just don't. They don't have anything to draw on that's real and substantive when they suffer. So it, it, it could be your salvation testimony. It could be how God set you free from sin and, and gave you whiplash just like the Apostle Paul and spun you around and sent you in a different direction. Or it could be a testimony of God's faithfulness in your life as a Christian. It can also just be a testimony when people look at your life and they say you're weird um, because your weekend looks really different than mine. I mean, to me, this is one of the easiest ways to talk about the gospel. You're talking to somebody, this could be at Home Depot in the, you know, the lumber aisle, or it could be at your kid's soccer game or whatever, and people say, hey, how are you? Oh, good, how are you doing? Hey, how was your weekend? Right, isn't that something people say all the time? I love it when people start asking me, how was your weekend? I go, man, it was a great weekend. What'd you do this weekend? Oh, you know, cut the grass and had a little you know, barbecue with the family Sunday night. And, you know, they'll, they'll tell you what they did on the weekend. Or maybe, oh, man, I was out with all my buddies late on Friday. We didn't get back till 3 a.m. You know, whatever. They're going to tell you their story about the weekend. And then hopefully they say, how was your weekend? What'd you do this weekend? And you get to tell them, you know what? Um, the weekend is like Sunday's my favorite day of the week because I get to be with my church family worship the Lord Jesus Christ, and we talk about the Bible. And they're just going to blink at you and go, okay, that's kind of weird. But then you have an opportunity. You might even be able to say, and you know what? I wouldn't have it any other way. Um, it's not that I have to go to church. Like, I look forward to it. I love it. I get to. Can I share with you why that is my favorite day of the week? And all of a sudden, now you can tell them about your faith in Christ. The Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And we get to tell them, Better is one day in his house than a thousand elsewhere. We can tell people how much the Lord has done for us. We can tell them that Jesus truly satisfies and that Jesus is better than all that other garbage people run after. It's better than money, better than sex, better than success, better than uh, reputation and, and, and fame. It's better than whatever way you could entertain yourself. Some people might say, oh, I just watched Netflix for eight hours you know, this weekend. I feel sorry for you. That is so lame. We have something so much better to live for. So you can ask people about their weekend and just testify to the superiority of Jesus Christ. That's a testimony. To say, what I have found is life. And it's life abundant. Jesus said, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. We can just tell them about how awesome it is to live life as a Christian and just to have the joy and the peace that comes with knowing Jesus Christ. So there's all sorts of opportunities to share a testimony Salvation testimony, talking about God's faithfulness, his protection, his power, his provision, or just to talk about the goodness of the Lord. I mean, all of these are opportunities for us to share our experience, to talk about certain circumstances that are real in our life, to connect those circumstances to the truth of Scripture. Because you know what's really powerful, even more powerful than my stories? It's the Word of God. It doesn't say that our stories and experiences are sharper than any two-edged sword, does it? No, it says the Word of God is. So I want to use my testimony as an on-ramp to talk about the Bible. I want to get here. I want to quote Scripture to them. I want to let Scripture be the explanatory power of my experience, and then let Scripture be the authoritative call for them to repent and believe. The same Bible that explains what has happened to me also calls them to confess their sins and turn and believe in the gospel, and follow Christ. So look for those opportunities. Um, share, and here's what's important. 
Here's a critical way that people fail when sharing their testimony. One failure is we make our story about ourselves. That's one way to fail. But a second failure is we fail to share the content of the gospel. I don't know if you noticed that in several of these biblical testimonies. Paul didn't just tell his story. He made theological claims about Jesus Christ. So we need to share the content of the gospel. When you talk to someone and share your testimony, whether you switch gears and start just talking about the gospel in a systematic way, or whether you weave it into your story, either way, we have to share the doctrinal components of the gospel. We need to tell people that God is holy. God is holy, he's perfectly just, and he punishes sin. That needs to come out in our testimony. That needs to supply some of the tension in our story so that we can show them how Jesus is the one who resolves that tension. We need to tell them that not only is God perfectly holy and just, we need to tell them that man is sinful. You need to tell them that you are sinful, and then you need to tell them that they are sinful, and that everyone is sinful. We have to say that not only is God holy, but man is sinful. That's that second essential component of the gospel message. And then we need to tell them who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. That Jesus is the living son of God who died for sins but rose again and he offers forgiveness and life to all who will believe. We have to talk about Jesus. We have to articulate what Jesus did. Otherwise, you know what might happen? They might come away from hearing your story and think, wow, that person really has a lot of faith. That's not what I want them to come away with. I don't want them to be impressed with me. I don't want them to learn something about me. I want them to think something about Jesus and learn something about Jesus so that they believe in Jesus. So we have to talk to them about Jesus Christ. And we have to make him the hero of the story. We have to connect the dots so that the power for change, the source of comfort, the hope of eternal life is all connected to who Jesus is and what Jesus did. And then we need to finally share with them that final component of the gospel that it's There's a requirement of repentance and faith that they have a choice to make. They will either say yes to this Jesus and he will do for them what he's done for us or they will say no to this Jesus and experience his judgment. So we have to bring them face to face with that choice and call them, call them to repent. I mean, we see that with, with Philip, right? Come and see. We see that with the woman at the well. Come and listen to this man who told me everything I ever did. We see it with Paul. Repent and be baptized today for the remission of sins. We see Festus picking up on this. Are you trying to persuade me to be a Christian? Paul goes, you bet I am. I wish everybody would become just like me, believing in this message. Um, So we need to get to that point. Um, I had a little bit more to share. Some of this we've already talked about, but just a few, few more points, and I'll just run through these as bullet points. Just in terms of contexts in which we can share testimony, we talked already about getting to know somebody, you know, talking across the fence or at work. Um, I think our church context is another opportunity for sharing our testimony. There's a reason why we do this in our, all our membership interviews. I want to hear people's personal experience. Have they been transformed by the gospel? And I want to hear their doctrinal convictions. I want to know, do they understand the content of the gospel? Do they think God is holy? Do they see themselves as a sinner? Do they believe that Jesus died and rose again and he's the only way to salvation? And are they trusting in him alone and not their own works? I I want to know that. So we share testimonies a lot here in this church. We do it in our small groups. Number one, it's a great way to practice. Uh, When we share these testimonies with each other, it becomes very secondhand, or second nature, rather, Um, 
and we become very comfortable doing it so that we can do it outside the church. But also, there's unbelievers who are in this church. Uh, there's people who are attending on Sunday morning, and not all of them are saved yet. We're praying they will be. There's children in this church that aren't believers yet. They need to hear your story. So when we share our testimony in a small group or from the, the baptismal tank or uh, at a church picnic, when you're getting to know someone, when you're meeting a new person in this church, hey, what's your name? Where are you from? What do you do for a living? How did you find out about our church? Tell me how you came to faith in Christ. When did you start following Jesus? Those are great questions to ask because people will start telling you their testimony and you may be able to perceive very quickly whether or not they've had a true experience of conversion and whether or not they understand the substance, the, the content of the gospel. And if you hear someone talking and you're asking these questions and you figure out this is a true believer who's born again, then you can celebrate with them and you have a point of fellowship. Man, that's awesome what God did in your life, how he saved you. He's done the same thing for me. And that's why we're brothers or sisters in Christ. You know, you can have that instant fellowship with someone as you share your testimony back and forth. Or you recognize, wow, the Lord has brought an unbeliever into our midst. Now I know that when JD or Stephen or whoever starts hammering on the gospel in the sermon today, I'm gonna start praying for that guy that I just met this morning before church. I'm gonna pray for him by name, that he would understand his need for salvation. Or you can say, hey, let's go, let's go out to lunch after church, and you can start sharing your testimony and share with them how, say, hey, I, thanks, I know I asked you earlier, how did you become a follower of Jesus? You know, I started following Jesus, and you can share your testimony, and you can evangelize that person right across the table with chips and salsa at El Potro, wherever you end up for lunch. Um, those are great opportunities to evangelize, and we can use our testimony to do that. Um, one, another opportunity for sharing our testimony um, is for parents. I know we have parents in the room. Share your stories with your kids. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you. Tell them how he saved you. Tell them how he has sanctified you throughout the years. Give glory to God and let your kids see who Jesus is and what Jesus has done in your life. That's a great opportunity to use our testimony. Uh, reach out to those who are suffering. When someone is suffering, just we want to offer to pray for them. We weep with them. Sometimes we're just quiet and we sit with them. But there's also a point in time where we say, hey, can I share with you what God has done for me? Not to minimize their suffering, not to say, oh yeah, you're going through that, that's nothing. Listen to what I went through what time. You know, we're not trying to one-up them. That's not the goal. But to encourage them, to say, hey, listen, God is faithful. I know you believe that. I, I've seen it in my own life. Here's what he's done for me. I'm going to pray that he'll do the same thing for you. You know, we can use our testimony to encourage one another. Um, we're out of time, so I'm just going to close with this. 1 Peter 2.9 says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Let's do that. We've been saved so that we might proclaim the excellencies of him who called us. So let's do it. Let's bear witness. Share your testimony. And see what kind of evangelism opportunities and fruit comes from it. It's something that God calls us to do. So I hope that's helpful and encouraging to you. We'll be back here in 15 minutes for worship. Thanks. You are dismissed.